Chapter eighty eight, part two of Varney the Vampire, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nick Number. Varney the Vampire, volume two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter eighty eight, part two. All started at the thought that Flora's chamber could in any way be profaned by any such presence as Sir Francis Farney's. However, the doors below were suddenly burst open amid loud cries from the populace, who rushed in in great numbers and began to search the lower rooms immediately. "'All is lost,' said Sir Francis Varney, as he dashed away and rushed to the chamber of Flora, who, alarmed at the sounds that were now filling the house, stood listening to them. "'Miss Bannerworth,' began Varney, "'Sir Francis!' "'Yes, it is I, Miss Bannerworth. Hear me for one moment. What is the matter?' "'I am again in peril, in more imminent peril than before. My life is not worth a minute's purchase unless you save me. You, and alone, can now save me. Oh, Miss Bannerworth, if ever pity touched your heart, save me from those only whom I now fear. I could meet death in any shape but that in which they will inflict it upon me. Hear their execrations below. "'Death to the vampire! Death to Varney!' burn him run a stake through his body what can i do sir francis admit me to your chamber sir francis are you aware of what you are saying i am well it is a request which you would justly scorn to reply to but now my life recollect you have saved me once my life do not now throw away the boon you have so kindly bestowed save me miss bannerworth it is not possible i nay miss bannerworth do you imagine this is a time for ceremony, or the observances of polished life? On my honor, you run no risk of censure. Where is Varney? Where is the vampire? He ain't far off. Here, hear them, Miss Bannerworth. They are now at the foot of the stairs. Not a moment to lose. One minute more, and I am in the hands of a crew that has no mercy. Hurrah! Upstairs! He's not below. Upstairs, neighbors! We shall have him yet. These words sounded on the stairs. Half a dozen more steps and Varney would be seen. It was a miracle he was not heard begging for his life. Varney cast a look of despair at the stairhead and felt for his sword, but it was not there. He had lost it. He struck his head with his clenched hand and was about to rush upon his foes when he heard the lock turn. He looked and saw the door open gently, and Flora stood there. He passed in and sank cowering into a chair at the other end of the room, behind some curtains. The door was scarcely shut ere some tried to force it, and then a loud knocking came at the door. "'Open! Open! We want Varney, the vampire! Open, or we will burst it open!' Flora did open it, but stood resolutely in the opening, and held up her hand to impose silence. "'Are you men that you can come thus to force yourselves upon the privacy of a female? Is there nothing in the town or house that you must intrude in numbers into a private apartment? Is no place sacred from you?' But, ma'am, miss, we only want Varney, the vampire. And can you find him nowhere but in a female's bedroom? Shame on you! Shame on you! Have you no sisters, wives, or mothers that you act thus? He's not in there. You may be sure of that, Jack, said a gruff voice. Let the lady be in quiet. She's had quite enough trouble with him to sicken her of a vampire. You may be sure that's the last place to find him in. With this they all turned away, and Flora shut the door and locked it upon them, and Varney was safe. "'You have saved me,' said Varney. "'Hush,' said Flora. "'Speak not. There may be someone listening.' Sir Francis Varney stood in the attitude of one listening most anxiously to catch some sounds. The moon fell across his face and gave it a ghastly hue that, added to his natural paleness and wounds, gave him an almost unearthly aspect. 
The sounds grew more and more distant. The shouts and noise of men traversing the apartment subsided, and gradually the place became restored to its original silence. The mob, after having searched every other part of the house and not finding the object of their search, they concluded that he was not there, but must have made his escape before. The most desperate peril of Sir Francis Varney seemed to have more effect upon him than anything that had occurred during his most strange and eventful career. When he was assured that the riotous mob that had been so intent upon his destruction was gone, and that he might emerge from his place of concealment, he did so with an appearance of such utter exhaustion that the Bannerworth family could not but look upon him as a being who was near his end. At any time his countenance, as we long have had occasion to remark, was a strange and unearthly-looking one, but when we come to superadd to the strangeness of his ordinary appearance the traces of deep mental emotion, we may well say that Varney's appearance was positively of the most alarming character. When he was seated in the ordinary sitting apartment of the Bannerworths, he drew a long, sighing breath, and, placing his hand upon his heart, he said in a faint tone of voice, "'It beats now laboriously, but it will soon cease its pulsations forever.' These words sounded absolutely prophetic. There was about them such a solemn aspect, and he looked at the same time that he uttered them so much like one whose mortal race was run, and who was now a candidate for the grave. "'Do not speak so despairingly,' said Charles Holland." Remember, that if your life has been one of errors hitherto, how short a space of time may suffice to redeem some of them at least, and the communication to me which you have not yet completed may to some extent have such an effect. No, no, it may contribute to an act of justice, but it can do no good to me, and yet do not suppose that because such is my impression that I mean to hesitate in finishing to you that communication. I rejoice to hear you say so, and if you would, now that you must be aware of what good feelings toward you we are all animated with, remove the bar of secrecy from the communication, I should esteem it a great favor. Varney appeared to be considering for a few moments, and then he said, Well, well, let the secrecy no longer exist. Have it removed at once. I will no longer seek to maintain it. Tell all, Charles Holland, tell all. Thus empowered by the mysterious being, Charles Holland related briefly what Varney had already told him, and then concluded by saying, That is all that I have myself as yet been made aware of, and now I call upon Sir Francis Varney to finish his narration. I am weak, said Varney, and scarcely equal to the task, but yet I will not shrink from the promise that I have made. You have been the preservers of my life, and more particularly to you, Flora Bannerworth, am I indebted for a continued existence, which otherwise must have been sacrificed upon the altar of superstition. But you will recollect, Master Varney, said the Admiral, who had sat looking on for some time in silent wonder, you must recollect, Master Varney, that the people are, after all, not so much to blame for their superstition, because, whether you are a vampire or not, and I don't pretend to come to a positive opinion now, you took good care to persuade them you were. I did, said Varney, with a shudder. But why did I? Well, you know best. It was, then, because I did believe, and do believe, that there is something more than natural about my strangely protracted existence. But we will waive that point, and before my failing strength, for it appears to me to be failing, completely prevents me from doing so, let me relate to you the continued particulars of the circumstances that made me what I am. End of chapter 88, part 2 Recording by Nick Number